Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. You don't realize you're stepping into a new era until you're already in it. Until you look up and realize that everyone is dressed differently. The faces on magazine covers have changed and the headlines are clinging on to something else. But when a new sound arrives, you can feel it. You can feel it in the way it moves the pulsing bodies on the dance floor and fills your brain with unexpected new rhythms and melodies. And when Acid House started to take over the Manchester music scene, Sasha Lord definitely felt it. Once you'd walked into that nightclub and you heard it on the sound system, and I'm talking about house music, it blew everyone's minds away. Sasha grew up in the British town of Manchester during the 80s. He was a curious kid who was always looking outside his window. And there was one thing that always caught his eye, a rounded red brick building in the center of the city. I remember being taken to school by my dad in the mornings. And I always used to look at that building when we were at the traffic lights because it used to sell yachts and boats. But the yachts and boats didn't quite fit in in Manchester because while Manchester was home to a beautiful canal, it wasn't an affluent city. When Sasha was a teenager, Manchester was going through one of its toughest times. In the 80s, unemployment was soaring and there was a wave of protests and riots pushing back against the cuts to government spending. At that period, Manchester was known as Madchester. Yep, Madchester. Manchester took that energy and put it into its music. At first, it was a scene dominated by local indie rock bands like the Stone Roses, and even acts that I love, like Happy Mondays and New Order. Music that made up the soundtrack of Sasha's early teens. It was all about guitar music. At the age of 17, I was going to, you know, indie clubs in, in Manchester, but the cool kids were talking about this thing called the Hacienda. Things were about to change. And I remember saying to one of my friends, look, you know, we need to go 
Remember that yacht shop that Sasha used to look at on his way to school? Well, it wasn't a shop for wealthy people looking to buy yachts anymore. It had become an abandoned warehouse and then a club, a safe haven. The kind of club that's name spread in whispers until all of a sudden, everyone wanted to get in because something new was happening at the Hacienda. Something was shifting in Manchester and Sasha wanted to be at the heart of it. So in a classic teenage coming of age moment, he and his friends traveled into the city to catch a glimpse of what was happening inside. But things didn't quite go according to plan. So the two weeks leading up to it, we're getting really excited. And, and the first night, like an idiot, like such a naive idiot, I queued for an hour, turned up on the front door there, wearing my dad's suit with his shirt and his tie, thinking, you know, this is like the cool club to get into. And security just looked at me, laughed at me and said, you know, it's not a chance. And we looked at the queue and everyone was just in jeans and T-shirts. But Sasha was determined to get a taste of what was happening at the Hacienda. So we went back the following week, but this time we're wearing jeans, T-shirts, you know, just like normal people. And I remember we saw something that we'd never, ever experienced before in our entire lives. There was a lot of erratic arm movement and fist pumping and jumping around, which was a sharp contrast to the laid-back head nodding of early 80s indie rock. We now know it is acid house dancing and... We both looked at each other and was like, what is going on here? And, you know, we're not going to do this dance. But within half an hour, we were both on the dance floor doing that ridiculous dance. And it was the energy, the power within that space that made us do that. It was the music that pulled Sasha completely in. Once you'd walked into that nightclub and you heard it on the sound system, and I'm talking about house music, it blew everyone's minds away. That night, Sasha stepped into the Hacienda and into a new era. The music felt richer, the colors burned brighter, and the people around him danced to the new sound in a state of pure euphoria. It was the first time we'd seen the audience, the crowd, praised the DJ, honour the DJ. You know, the DJ was raised in Hacienda, and literally everyone was looking up at this one. It was like almost a god. That DJ was a god. From London Audio, iHeartRadio, and executive producer Paris Hilton, this is the history of the world's greatest nightclubs a 12-part podcast about the iconic venues and people that revolutionized how we party. Let me open up your world. Some of the world's most legendary nightclubs were known for the unique community they welcomed, others for the cultural movements they started, and some for the musicians and DJs they introduced to the world. The best nightclubs champion new music, transform lives, and provide an escape from life's pressures. One more thing. This is the history of some of the world's greatest nightclubs, not a ranking of every club in the world. It's an exploration of the spaces, people, and club nights that made a lasting impact on nightlife and music today. I'm your host, Ultranate. I'm a singer, songwriter, musician, and I found my purpose in club culture. This is episode five, The Hacienda in Manchester, UK. 
The Hacienda was a club that belonged to Manchester's youth. It became a sort of cathedral where they could belong and feel connected to a higher power. A place where house music transformed into UK acid house during the rise of ecstasy. It inspired a generation of indie rock and house musicians and influenced fashion, design, and culture. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Before Manchester became the Manchester of today, a city known for its legendary bands and world-class soccer teams, it was known for its thriving cotton industry. Manchester was filled with mills and factories that exported the fluff all around the world. In fact, during its golden age, the city was given the nickname Cottonopolis. But when deindustrialization happened in the 20th century, mills, mines, and factories shut down. And within a few decades, dozens of northern communities had lost their livelihoods. It was dark times, truthfully, really quite dark times. Mass unemployment. That's Anif Akinola. He lived in Manchester in the 80s. There'd always been a separation between the north and south of England, but deindustrialization made things worse. The country became divided in two, the affluent south and what felt like the dark, gloomy, forgotten north. But there was still a positivity within the city, which is that industrial, working-class thing, you know. Despite everything they'd gone through, There was a certain resilience in the north of England. And Mancunians, people from Manchester, had a different attitude than their southern cousins. I think in Manchester, when you speak on something and you love it, it has to have super credibility. I would say in London, it can be superficial. You have a lot of yes people driving an industry that has to entertain. So a lot of people feel they're better than they actually. And that's one thing about Mancunians. We say something. We don't blag, we don't lie, we don't do the hype stuff, we don't do the self-gratification, we don't do the ego thing. Part of that no BS, no ego approach came from the city's working class culture, but part of it also came from the rain. Rain's humbling though, isn't it? You, no one looks good in the rain, so it just humbles you, you know what I mean? You're drenched, it doesn't matter, it's humbling. 
And that shoulder shrugging, no one looks good in the rain attitude bled into the music. Factory Records, a dominant record label, was paving the way, culturally. It was founded by Tony Wilson and Alan Erasmus. Tony Wilson was larger than life. He could do it all. He was a journalist and then went on to manage a number of local bands and musicians. And his innate vision helped him to spot potential. Tony Wilson, in his infinite wisdom, somehow saw what we all now see. Tony and Alan's vision helped Factory Records become home to some of the most important indie and rock bands of its time, including Joy Division and New Order, who I'm also a huge fan of. By the early 80s, Factory Records had established a name for itself, and Tony was ready for a new challenge. So he decided to tap into the nightlife scene and create a club that would become the epicenter of Manchester youth culture. By that point, Manchester was made up of old, rundown warehouses and mills, abandoned reminders of what the city had lost. So, in a sea of empty buildings, Factory Records went searching for a glimmer of hope until they found the venue. Here's the architect Ben Kelly on that space. On Whitworth Street, West in Manchester, big, big old rundown kind of warehouse space that had been used as a yachting showroom and a repair workshop for yachts. So they set out to transform the old yacht showroom into a place where people could party. And Ben was the perfect designer for the job because Tony wanted to work with an architect who understood the Manchester way. Together, they wanted to create something that felt like the city they loved. They didn't care about flashy clubs. Here's Tony Wilson back in 1983. If you drive through Manchester, if you walked into a space that was anything else, that had velveteen sort of um, sofas, uh, sort of the renovated staircase approach of the Camden Palace, someone's like saying, oh, you're not in Manchester anymore. But here you're still in Manchester, but the industrial shapes, the angular lines, the steel is and can be beautiful. So Ben Kelly redesigned the venue to highlight its industrial beauty. Well, the first thing that I decided was there would be no big sign on the front of the building. It would be almost anonymous. And the only thing that announced its presence to the street was this little granite hand letter carved plaque, which was about 12 inches long. He preserved the structure of the warehouse, but brought it to life with color. Inside, the walls were blue, Scattered throughout the club were structural columns covered in black and yellow stripes. He wanted people to feel like they were going on a journey when they walked inside, like they were stepping into an experience they'd never had before. You go down some steps. I had these what I call tall monolithic slabs set at the threshold between the lower height space and the taller main space, which uh, for me, was a kind of reference to Stanley Kubrick film 2001, A Space Oddity, where there is this weird monolithic slab that the apes congregate around, and it's as if all knowledge and all power comes from this monolithic slab. There was something special in the slabs and stripes and wide, empty spaces. When night fell and the dance floor began to fill up, you could feel the whisper of something intangible in the atmosphere. As people sang, danced, and partied, they looked up. The DJ stood on an elevated stage, and the sounds coming from the speakers felt spiritual. At the Hacienda, 
that higher power was the music. Here's Anif again. He was originally an MC at the club before becoming a DJ. There's two Haciendas. There's Hacienda pre-1988, and then there's Hacienda 88 onwards, right? If you're talking about the Hacienda from 83 up to 88, that was exposing lots of art, lots of culture. Before 88, the Hacienda was known for playing indie rock. They attracted crowds with performances from bands like The Smiths, Happy Mondays, and Primal Scream. But the Hacienda was also a home for creatives. They let artists and students use the space to make art, and it became a place where people could show off their latest creations. You'd find cars were chopped in two on the dance floor, or there'd be a crucifix because someone had done a play there. You never knew what unique piece of art or stylish new outfit you might find in the Hacienda. And as the club approached the late 80s, the music they played became more unpredictable too. A shift was taking place in the UK music scene. So you had all these new genres coming through. Musically, it was a really fertile time and this club American rap music, hip-hop, and R&B were making their way to the UK and changing club culture. But there was one genre that really made a mark, and that was house music. The first house records arrived in Manchester December 1984 at a shop called Spinning Records. The new sound was pioneered by house DJs in Chicago, like Frankie Knuckles and Ron Hardy. And that sound slowly started to make its way across the UK. Britain was becoming increasingly diverse with more and more Black communities in the cities like London and Birmingham. But in Manchester, the clubs were mainly playing rock and mainstream pop music. At the time, there wasn't really a home for house music or any kind of music made by Black people like Anif. It was crazy because we were going to clubs. I've been going to clubs since 79, and you've got to remember Manchester... That black music wasn't played Thursday, Friday, Saturday night, no chance. You weren't going out in Manchester to wear black music. There were many reasons why Manchester clubs weren't really playing black pioneered music on the weekends, like racism. But Anif said that it was also because young black British people didn't party in the same way that their white peers did. Black kids didn't drink. We were economically viable. <laughs> I mean, it's the, when, you know, if you're selling beer for how many a pint and you're making a lot of profit on it, it wasn't, you know, most of the black kids didn't drink beer. So the pubs that own the clubs says, right, we'll give them the early week. Thing. So we had Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So while the pubs gave house music the early week slot, the founders of the Hacienda decided to respond differently. Tony Wilson says he viewed that black music would be the kind of mainstay of UK mainstream music. We had mainstream pop music day in, day out. And he said, this black music doesn't get a fair whack. I'm going to give it a space and a a window for it to do its thing. So the Hacienda became one of the early British clubs to champion the genre, with black DJs like Hugh and Clark spinning the latest house tracks. From the raised stage in the clubs decorated with black and yellow lines, the DJs at the Hacienda made it their sworn duty to drive people to the dance floor, to play songs that would keep people on their feet, channel the energy of the moment, and create an atmosphere that was almost spiritual in nature. I remember, and this was pre-drugs, 
I think she was just so happy. A woman took all her clothes off and just started dancing around the club. And I'm going, wow. You know what I mean? If you can make people feel that elated to music, that's powerful. Music tells stories and music helps to capture emotions and music are moments in people's life. And you hope that, you know, you are part of that mix. The energy in the room felt transcendental. Here's Ben again. I remember standing on the balcony with Tony Wilson and this head of steam was coming off the bodies of people, maybe 1,500 people dancing down below. And it's like a cloud, a cloud of steam above their head. And it was the most amazing sight and they were all the happiest people you could ever see. And it was quite beautiful. Tony Wilson described it as a cathedral. He said that every city needs its cathedral. And the Hacienda became exactly that for young people across the city. A cathedral, a place to feel part of something much bigger than themselves, to experience a higher power. But the higher power wasn't actually God, and the otherworldly haze bouncing off everyone's body wasn't a heavenly cloud. It was the steam coming off the bodies because they are all been drinking water, because they are all taking ecstasy. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. By the early 80s, ecstasy had already become a common party drug in America. It started to replace LSD, the psychedelia of the 70s, and quickly rose to prominence in the clubs and raves across the country. When the Hacienda founders went to America, they saw a music opportunity. Tony Wilson and uh, Mike Pickering had been over to LA. They had seen this wonderful drug, which I've never taken, uh, called ecstasy working. And they then came back and then decided, we're going to do Acid House. Ecstasy was making its way to the UK party scene. And so Tony Wilson and the Hacienda decided to play music that corresponded with the cultural shift. A new genre of club music called Acid House. Acid House came to the UK in the late 80s and ushered in the second summer of love. Here's a clip from a BBC documentary called Summer of Rave, 1989. 
that summer. It's an amazing experience. It's an amazing year. It's a time to challenge convention, cast out the old, and bring in the new. And if summertime is party time, the scorching summer of 1989 was one long party from beginning to end. It was a season of hedonism. Illegal underground raves popped up across the country in wide open fields and old abandoned warehouses. Young people stayed out all night, dancing, falling in love, and taking the newest drugs. And the soundtrack to that summer was the pulsing sound of Acid House. So it's almost like 1960s again, the hippie movement. The ecstasy distorted the dancers' senses and perception of space and time. Some say the hit of dopamine made them feel more energetic and that the serotonin elevated them to new emotional heights. The elation, they say, was triggered by the ecstasy, combined with the exuberance of house music, created an otherworldly kind of atmosphere. The hacienda became a place where people could escape, and it was filled with people from all sorts of backgrounds. The crowd was completely mixed. It was probably 50-50 male-female. You know, it didn't matter whether you were a student, whether you were unemployed, whether you were a lawyer, an architect, a postman. No one cared. And Manchester's acid house scene came with its own unique sense of style. At that time, it was baggy pants. So it'd be old 50 shirt, baggy trousers, pair of brogues and all this. When the acid came, it was stripped down to T-shirt and bleach jeans and all sorts. They were wearing brightly colored T-shirts, flared jeans and baggy clothing that was easier to dance in which was particularly convenient for people dancing in the heat of ecstasy. There's a video that Anif remembers watching from the late 80s. September the 26th, 1986, is the first footage of black kids dancing to 40 minutes of acid house, right? Remember, in the 80s, most of the pubs and clubs in Manchester didn't cater to black people on the weekends. The Hacienda had, in part, started playing house music to give young Black people a space to dance on the weekends. And in turn, the Black clubbers had given the Hacienda a certain kind of credibility. It drew other young people in and helped the club become popular. These kids were needed for three months to be kind of what we call eye candy for those who were milling around in in the thing. But when Acid House arrived, the Hacienda stopped feeling like the safe space for young Black people that it had once been. Then all of a sudden you saw like in a blink of an eye, the drugs arrived. Then week after week, it just went off. You know what I mean? This is where you can come and take ecstasy. You hear this music and you have a fantastic time. You know what I mean? It's well documented. When the drugs came, the black kids left the hacienda. Now, that's not to say the black kids didn't still go, but not in the numbers that they used to. You know what I mean? And And then you've got to remember, Manchester is the biggest population of students. So the minute the word got out that we had this super club going on, the proliferation of students wanted to come and party and Manchester just went through the roof. So the two kind of drove one another as, you know, as a bit of a party capital. Illegal raves and drug-filled parties had been taking place across the country in the late 80s and early 90s. So it was only a matter of time before the police tried to get involved. But at first the ravers were able to keep them at bay. Here's Sasha Lord again. I do remember actually a really fun moment when the police did not really understand about the music or what's going on, but they knew something was happening in the Hacienda. They used to turn up on convoy 
with a big fluorescent jackets and they'd walk through the line, through the, the crowd. And they hated it because everybody would stand behind them and do the conga. And that's what we used to do to get them out quick. It was just like one massive conga of 2,000 people following the police. But eventually the drugs caught up with them. There were several shootings inside and outside of the club. In 1989, the second summer of love, a 16-year-old girl, Claire Layton, was one of the first people in the UK to die from an adverse reaction to ecstasy, which she had taken at the Hacienda. The club was beginning to attract more negative attention, and their relationship with the police and licensing authorities became increasingly tense. Its success was its downfall in terms of the culture that it brought in. You know, people wanted to have a parasitic existence of all these people wanting drugs and such. But the thing that really took the Hacienda down wasn't crime or the physical effects that ecstasy had on its ravers. It was the effect the drugs had on the Hacienda's profits. The acid house they played created a culture where people took drugs instead of drinking alcohol. And because people weren't buying alcohol, the Hacienda wasn't breaking even. The thing that had made the club what it was became its demise. In 1997, they lost their license and held their very last party on June 28th. Here's Tony Wilson doing his closing speech inside the Hacienda on that final night. The Hacienda is closing its doors as of today. It is with the greatest reluctance that for the moment we're turning the lights out on what is, for us, a most important place. The Hacienda has been closed for 25 years now, but its legacy lives on. Anif credits a lot of his success to the nights he spent there. Music's just kind of magical and it is these captured moments. He went on to become a DJ, producer, and rapper with successful songs in the UK. Yeah, uh, a guy called Joe, which is one of the records I ended up producing in 1988 that went on to be huge, uh, massive house anthem. But the Hacienda didn't just influence music. Its unique industrial design made a mark too. Its block colors, warehouse aesthetic and yellow and black stripes will go on to inspire a generation of artists and designers. That project has resonated down the years, down the decades, to many, many people from different walks of life, I guess. And it's found its way into popular culture, into the history of the modern world in a funny kind of a way. That's Ben Kelly again, the man who designed the Hacienda. It's eked its way into my, into my very being in, in a kind of way. And it defines some kind of a language, a, a design language, or a way of working, a way of thinking about design. Other people have recognised it in my work, and they've come to me at different points in time, asking me to do something or wanting to reference something to do with the Hacienda. And one of those people was Virgil Abloh, the designer who founded Off-White, and up until his untimely death, was the artistic director of Louis Vuitton. Virgil contacted me maybe seven or eight years ago when he started his off-white label and was keen to collaborate one way or another. And I, I, I noticed the work that off-white was producing and I noticed lots of stripes on garments. He 
made it clear to me that the influence had come from the design of the Hacienda and the, the label off white, you know, it was massively influenced by the, the language that I developed for the Hacienda. And so the two of them started working together. What came out of that was a fantastic series of collaborations between myself and Virgil, which grew and grew. They collaborated on projects like Offset, a mobile installation that debuted at Miami's Art Basel. It became a runway fashion show set and a home for DJs, live events, and art installations. That was an amazing opportunity. Those opportunities would not have come along had, had it not been for that piece of work in Manchester. In November of 2000, bulldozers drove into the old yacht showroom that once housed the Hacienda. And in a tale as old as time, it was replaced by high-end apartments. But even though the building is gone, for Sasha, the club had a lifelong impact. What is so interesting now when you look back is a lot of those key people that worked at the Hacienda have gone on to create some pretty spectacular careers. The club was at the forefront of youth culture and helped kickstart Manchester's regeneration. The night Sasha arrived at the club wearing one of his dad's suits altered the trajectory of his life. I don't know what happened that night, but it's a night that I'll never ever forget. And it most definitely changed the course of my lifetime. He started hosting his own party events at the Hacienda for Students and became a promoter in the Manchester club scene. Sasha went on to start Park Life, one of the biggest musical festivals in the UK, which attracts 80,000 people every year with recent headliners like Tyler, the Creator, and Megan Thee Stallion. You can tell Sasha is proud. When I talk to him over Zoom, you can feel it and you can definitely see it. You know, if you look behind me now, there's a part like poster there. If I hadn't gone through those doors and business parts, would them happen? Probably not. So, you know, the Hacienda owes a lot. Today, Sasha is Manchester's first ever nighttime economy advisor. He works with the government to advocate for clubs and venues across the city. The Hacienda still inspires him today. We need to really celebrate the 40 years of the Hacienda. I think for the first time, possibly in the UK, in a, the, the local authorities realised actually how much tourism a nightclub can bring in because people were travelling from all over the world to, to experience this. It wasn't just a, a Manchester thing. And I think that's why we get away with things like warehouse projects and, and, and part life. You know, it's 80,000 part life warehouse project capacities, 10,000 a night because the council really understand tourism and the money that it brings in in terms of hotels, transport, restaurants, new outfits. You know, there's a whole ecology around that and they got that. And we're really lucky in Manchester that we've got that support. When the Hacienda opened its doors in 1982, it was the start of a new era. The rundown yacht showroom became the center of the city's nightlife and one of the most important landmarks in the UK acid house scene. It wasn't just a club. During its peak, it felt like a cathedral for young people of the city, a home for those who felt like they'd been left behind. I think it gave people the sense of nothing is impossible. You know, we were almost the forgotten 
the forgotten generation, the forgotten people, but actually there is opportunity there. Um, and and it, it gave us that belief and it pushed us further. In the next episode, we're heading over to the city of lights, Paris, to go and party with some of the most iconic musicians, actors, and models in the world. As we spend a night at the star-studded Parisian club, Les Bandouches. The History of the World's Greatest Nightclubs is produced by Neon Hum Media for London Audio and iHeartRadio. For London Audio, our executive producers are Paris Hilton, Bruce Robertson, and Bruce Gersh. The executive producer for Neon Hum is Jonathan Hirsch. Our producer is Rufaro Faith Mazarura. Navani Otero and Liz Sanchez are our associate producers. Our series producer is Crystal Genesis. And our editor is Stephanie Serrano. Samantha Allison is our production manager and Alexis Martinez is our production coordinator. This episode was written by Rufaro Faith Mazarura and fact-checked by Sarah Avery. Theme and original music by Asha Ivanovich. Our sound design engineers are Sam Baer and Josh Hahn. I'm your host, Ultranate, and we'll see you next time on the history of the world's greatest nightclubs. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender-inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit-tested for all-day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.